What's up, America? It's Sweet D. It's now time for Cry, Let It All Out, where we discuss our artists that have passed on and left a profound legacy. We're doing Tupac and Biggie, of course, still. Yeah, Tupac and Big got it going on. They are strong. They last long. Way they leave you gone. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, so cry, let it all out. Um... I'm Sweet D, your host. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We got a new show today. We're going to do, I'm not going to do a rap today. We're going to do a poem. Uh, Well, this is a rap song, but rap is poetry, as you know. So I'm going to read this poem to you in the beginning. Then we're going to get into the book, The Killing of Tupac Shakur by Kathy Scott. As you remember, we're on the investigation. So we're going to go into that and uh, cry, let it all out. I'm here to make you scream and shout. That's what it's all about. I got clout, never in doubt. Represent the North, East, West, and South. I got it going on. I last long. I am strong. And I sing many songs. Do you want to dance? Put you in a trance. Ah, yeah. Started off with a little freestyle. Okay, here we go. Here's the rap poem. As I continue on with life positively remaining untouched, modestly I'm too much. For some I shush, can't seem to get enough. Giving up, I'm not the one. Uh, what you want? Uh, what you want? Uh, done just from the ums and the way it all runs. Traveling to islands, always smiling, laughing at those who try to oppose team too strong you should know let me go and be what is meant for me like a bowl to those that really know and for those who don't whatever floats your boat still got my supply what you say won't hurt all i want is for the people to love what they're hearing love or hate like a piece of cake i'm still be the sweetest thing on the plate if it's it's too late for a reunion, I'll continue to keep moving, doing what I'm doing peacefully as the rulings get passed down. I've always known it would come around, and you thought you were getting over. How could? Well, that don't really matter now. Life goes on. If you know me like you run your mouth, then you know I'd all it'd all happen somehow. For the doubt, I hit him off with the clouds. Look up, tell me what you see. There's more than what meets the eye, baby. Fearful of no one, not a thing. Protection got me confidently standing. I'm on in my own two feet, on my own two feet. And it can be nothing but sweet. All right, that's the poem. Living life positively, yes, always giving, never misleading, always intriguing. All right, let's get into the book. 
we got The Killing of Tupac Shakur by Kathy Scott. Cry, let it all out, America, for Tupac and Biggie. Bicycle patrol officer Michael McDonald, who works the swing shift as a cop and serves as an elected Las Vegas City Councilman by day, was called to the scene as backup. We rolled on it as soon as we heard they had a shooting going on, McDonald explained. McDonald and his partner, Officer Eric Holyoke, were up the strip near the Circus Circus Casino. I was at a car stop. You just start rolling. You don't have time to think about it. I didn't even finish the stop. I gave the driver his stuff back, his license and registration, and said, see you later, bye, and I was out of there. He said officers knew right away that it was Tupac Shakur bleeding to death inside the N BMW. Oh, Tupac. By the time McDonald arrived on the scene a few minutes after the BMW was stopped, the whole cavalry had arrived. There must have been 30 or 40 patrol cars, he said. When we got there, the ambulances were just leaving. I had to call the body, calm the bodyguards down, McDonald said. They were saying, man, we have to go to the hospital with Park. They were freaking out. Their friend had just been shot. They were upset. I talked to them. I told them that if they didn't calm down, the cops were going to have to cuff them and take them in. I made sure they didn't mingle. The detectives don't want the witnesses to speak to each other. I told them, you guys have to understand, the quicker you talk to the detectives, the quicker you're out of here, I said. You can do this here or you can do this downtown. They calmed down. After the detectives talked to them, they all jumped in their cars and went to the hospital. They were in three cars, McDonald continued. The cars were parked in the middle of the street, right next to the median. When the BMW came to rest, it was the middle of the intersection at Harmon and the boulevard. It was facing kind of southeast, turning to the left, cocked like Knight was in the middle of making a left turn when he was stopped. It had four flat tires. The rims were bent from going over the curbs. No one knows where Sugar was heading by trying to make the left turn onto Harmon from the strip. Dispatch had called detectives from general assignment to investigate before a homicide team was called in. Detectives arrived and began interviewing the witnesses. But the scene was chaotic. Everyone on the street knew it was Tupac. He was easily recognized by music and film fans. A large crowd gathered. People began charging the car, trying to rip off the side view mirrors, wire rimmed hubcaps, door handles, anything they could grab. The cops yelled at them to get back and threatened to arrest anyone who got near the car. A few officers had to physically keep people back. It was the scene of an attempted homicide at the least, and the car was evidence. This is the investigation. We're on page 41. The investigation is the fourth chapter. The police, including officers McDonald and Holyoke, secured the perimeter, protecting the crime scene. 
until investigators and crime analysts were finished working it. Michael Payne, chief photographer for the Herald-Dispatch newspaper in south-central Los Angeles, was on assignment in Las Vegas covering the Tyson fight and had returned to his hotel room at the Aladdin Hotel across the street from where the BMW came to rest. He looked out his window to the street scene below. I saw yellow tape and police and realized there had to be a murder or something, he said. I grabbed my camera and went down there. When he got to the street, he asked what happened. A little boy told me Tupac got killed, he said. That's the car he was riding in. Immediately, what went through my head was the scene out of Bonnie and Clyde. The car was all shot up. I said to myself that this was history and I was going to shoot it. So I pulled out my camera and started taking pictures. Tupac like a legend. And it was his last ride, you know. Payne began shooting photos of the car, riddled with bullet holes, and of the witnesses from Tupac's entourage as they were being interviewed by detectives. Yellow crime scene tapes separated the witnesses from the crowd gathered on the street. The street was closed. Police had blocked off the strip to through traffic. The ambulance was gone, Payne said. I got a shot of some of the guys. They were upset. I shot them sitting on the sidewalk. The police had them blocked off with yellow tape. They kept them there for quite some time, at least two hours. Their cars were right there on the side of the road. When I got there, the street was blocked off. You had plain clothes, uniforms, and the guys who ride around Vegas on bicycles. And they brought out a dog team. Somebody told them the gun was thrown out in the median. So they had the dogs out searching in the median for the gun. It seemed like the police were trying to do a thorough investigation at that crime scene. They were really trying to find the gun. They were tearing the car up too. Payne turned out to be the only still photographer at the crime scene. The police took still photographs, but theirs weren't taken for public consumption and have been locked away in a file cabinet inside Metro's photo lab with the 420 murder label. Officer Michael McDonald said that when the detectives arrived, the investigate, they investigated three different scenes the shooting at Flamingo and Coval, the left turn from Flamingo onto the Strip, and the center divider where Shug's car stopped for good. They also backtracked to make sure there weren't any casings somewhere else. Everybody locked down the scene. When you know it's a blatant homicide, you lock the scene down till detectives can get there. You put cones over the casings, Cordon off the crime scene, but the put the tape up, keep witnesses from talking to each other. We were there for hours, way into overtime, McDonald said. Once the street was reported to reopen to one lane, officers stopped some drivers to question them. They were looking for witnesses. 
They found none. Ah. Reports that cops were stopping only black male drivers were untrue, said NHP trooper Steve Harney and Metro bike cop Michael McDonald, both of whom were there when motorists were being stopped. We do not do that, Harney said. When we did stop people to question them, we stopped everybody. It wasn't just black male adults. We treat everybody the same. Unlike the location where the BMW came to rest, the shooting scene at Flamingo and Cobal in front of the Maxim wasn't secured right away. It made it tougher to investigate, Sergeant Kevin Manning admitted later. Within a relatively short period of time, that scene was secured enough so that there was still evidence present. But if any of it had been moved, like cars hitting it, how do we know? State Trooper Steve Harvey added, You've got to understand when it's a shooting, unless it's in a house, if you're on an interstate or a busy street, you're not going to have as much preservation of evidence. When the K-9 unit arrived, it went to work a mile away, where Sugar and Tupac ended up, not at the crime scene where the shooting actually took place. The police still believed the gunfire had occurred on the strip. Had police talked to the members of the entourage immediately, they might have told them that the Cadillac had fled and which way it gone. But the time the general assignment detectives arrived and began questioning them, not only had enough time gone by for the Cadillac to flee without a trace, but the entourage witnesses were irate. Detectives were surprised when members of the entourage who witnessed the shooting wouldn't talk. They weren't willing to give up any information at all after the patrol cops had thrown them face down on the streets blacktop. They made it very clear afterwards that they were angry with the way the officers treated them. Though Metro Police called it standard procedure when its officers treated potential witnesses to the highest profile murder case in the history of the department like suspected criminals, they forever alienated the all-important members of the entourage, including Suge Knight. All hope of establishing cooperation from the witnesses vanished in those first few moments. Metro gained nothing and lost everything. Detectives eventually questioned witnesses from the first crime scene about the actual shooting. They talked some, but not a lot, and they were inconsistencies. Some witnesses told detectives the Cadillac had California license plates. Others said Nevada. No one was sure. In addition, there were early reports that the shooters were women, but according to Metro Lieutenant Larry Spinoza, that's not what the police ultimately concluded. People on the street that night may have been referring to the woman who were in the Chrysler sedan near Shrigg's BMW when the shots were fired. According to Kevin Manning, when detectives arrived at the scene of the shooting, the four women were still there. They were escorted to an interview room at Metro Police's headquarters downtown in Las Vegas City Hall on Stewart Avenue and Las Vegas Boulevard. 
The women who were from California were not planted at the intersection to set up Tupac and Shug, nor were they used as distractions while the gunmen drove up in the Cadillac, Manning insisted. It was a coincidence. The woman claimed they didn't see the shooter. Their names have not been released. Detective Brent Becker agreed that the women were not vital to the investigation. They were just people in the mess, he said. They're just like everybody else who was on the street that night. There were a lot of women nearby. There's no significance. I'm sure they hate to hear about four women getting jammed up because someone thinks they were strong witnesses. Most of the witnesses, including bystanders on the street, told the officers it looked like there were four men, all African-American, inside the four-door Cadillac. Witnesses also told the police that no one in the Cadillac got out, that the shots were fired from inside the car probably from the back seat. Some later reports had one gunman getting out and tracking Tupac aimed directly for the side of the car, but police have said that wasn't the case. And then there were the witnesses who were in the cars behind Tupac when the shooting erupted. Several from Tupac's entourage were taken downtown by general assignment detectives early the next morning for questioning, according to Becker. Instead of being interviewed on the street, bodyguard Frank Alexander and rapper Malcolm Greenridge were in the car behind Tupac and Shook. Alexander and Greenwich told police they didn't see anything. Later, they recanted the, their stories, telling the Los Angeles Times that homicide detectives never asked them if they could identify the shooter. 19-year-old Yefu Fula, a member of the Outlaws Immortals, a backup rap group that toured with Tupac, was the third man in the car with Alexander and Greenridge. He was interviewed briefly on the street that night by homicide detectives. He told them he would probably be able to pick out the shooter from a photo lineup of suspects. Yes, Yafu. Police took his name and telephone number. He was the best eyewitness police talked to that night of all the potential witnesses to the shooting. Only Yafu Fula claimed to have seen anything. No one else was able or willing to help. <sighs> Within 48 hours of the shooting on the following Monday, Las Vegas police called what would be their only news conference on the subject of Tupac Shakur. The national media, as well as local print, radio, and broadcast journalists attended. What made the conference unusual was the entertainment reporters standing shoulder to shoulder with the hard news reporters who are accustomed to following and reporting on homicides. Sergeant Manning, along with Sergeant Greg McCurdy from Metro's Public Affairs Office, held the news briefing on the lawn next to the Executive Park building on West Charleston Boulevard that houses homicides offices. With the cameras and the mics aimed at them, Manning stood in the shade of the trees to evade the blazing midday sun. By afternoon, the temperature had soared to nearly 100 degrees. 
he read a brief statement, his original press release. I just want to say one thing, America, before I continue on. Um, Tupac and Biggie were the greatest rappers that ever lived, and now they're gone. Um, they meant so much to me, America. They were my favorite rappers. I know I told you this before, but Tupac was one of the reasons I started rapping. And let me mention another rapper, uh, Rakim. Uh, Rakim is another reason why I wanted to rap. But Tupac was the main reason why I wanted to rap. And... um. I just hope we can all come together and try to find the killers of Tupac and Biggie because I don't see how we can have two people die and of such big stature. They were so famous. They were great. Everybody knew them. And then they die, and nobody says anything, and nobody wants to help. But Yafufula, and then he gets murdered. So that doesn't help at all. But um, Tupac and Biggie, um, we need to, I think their songs should be played on the radio all the time with some other artists too like Whitney Houston Prince and Michael Jackson we should hear their music all the time but back to the book uh, let's see he read a brief statement his original press release of the shooting then fielded questions from reporters for some, it would be the only opportunity they would have to speak directly to the sergeant. Most of the reporters' questions were about the assailant. Some asked about Tupac's condition. One asked about the gun. We have not and will not make any comments about the gun. It's the only real physical evidence we have, Sergeant Manning said, referring to information that ballistics uncovered from the shell casings and bullets. I know what's out there in the media. Semi-automatic would be accurate. Glock, a semi-automatic Glock pistol has been mentioned. We don't know where the Glock is coming from. We have never said that. In response to a reporter's questions, Manning addressed the rumor that Suge Knight, not Tupac, was the intended target by saying that they were not based on the facts of the case. The gunfire hit the passenger and the passenger side, he said. I assumed the passenger was the target. Why would you want to kill Tupac and Biggie? I... I don't know why anyone would want to murder them. They were so awesome. They were magnificent. They were doing so much for the rap industry. And they were geniuses, the both of them. But the beef between them got out of hand. And um, it led to this. And this is a travesty. 
I just want to say, whoever murdered Tupac and Big, turn yourself in. Las Vegas Police Department, please reopen the case. Find out who did this. We miss these people so much. It's such a tragedy. Several reporters walked up to Manning after his news conference and handed him their business cards, asking to be faxed or called if anything new came up. The homicide sergeant wasn't happy, happy, dealing, as he called it, with reporters. They were a nuisance and didn't serve his purposes. Later, Manning complained that the interruption from reporters were what kept him from investigating the murder. The failing at Metro toward the media had sometimes tended toward disdain and mistrust. When reporters called to ask about a crime or an internal investigation into misconduct by an officer, they often met with remarks like, that's old news, why are you asking me about that, or that's not a story. The thinking inside Metro's homicide unit, and for that matter, other units at Metro, is that they should only answer questions from reporters if it serves Metro's investigation purposes. Considerations of the public's right to know often, with even the most basic information, have traditionally taken a back seat. Over the next few weeks, with international media attention focused on the shooting and death of Tupac Shakur, detectives Becker and Franks would go on camera only once, making an appearance on the Fox Network's America's Most Wanted television show. But Sergeant Manning wouldn't allow the partners to be interviewed on camera or off, by Unsolved Mysteries when producers from Burbank, California came to town to produce their own segment about the murder. They can't help us, Manning explained. It would be of no use to us in our investigation. The detective was made, the decision was made despite the fact that Unsolved claimed to have more Sorry, claimed to have more viewers than America's Most Wanted and a better solve rate. According to an Unsolved Mysteries producer, one of the reasons detectives declined was because Unsolved also airs what the producer called their Ugga bugger stories, such as UFO sightings and tales of spontaneous human combustion sandwiched between true unsolved crime stories. America's Most Wanted reports only crime and missing person stories. Regardless of the real reason for Metro's non-participation, it turned out to be a lost opportunity. After the Unsolved Mysteries piece aired on March 14, 1997, without cop interviews, the show received hundreds of tips. Nice. One from a woman who said she was told twice by a friend that he committed the murder. Appeared to be solid. 
the woman living in the southern state was afraid to give her a name. An FBI agent who was in the Unsolved Mystery students when the program aired interviewed the woman and spent a lot of time with her on the phone. Metro police were not in the studio, having declined when asked to go to Burbank to be on hand in case any solid tips were called in. Metro detectives had one willing witness. Ah, thank God for Yafufula, and he passed away. 19-year-old Yafufula, a rapper from New Jersey, who watched the shooting from the car behind Shug's and claimed he'd be able to pick the gunman out of a photo alignment, photo lineup. But instead of detaining him until they can question him in death, police let Fula go. Almost immediately after being allowed to leave Las Vegas, Fula contacted a lawyer, David Kenner, death row's attorney. Kenner played hard to get with Las Vegas investigators for two months. Promises to set up a meeting between detectives and Fula were made, but never kept. May have been fear that prompted Fula to enlist Death Row's lawyer to keep him from being interviewed by Las Vegas police. After all, and he talked, identifying the shooter. He would have been a snitch. People would find that out during the trial of whomever he fingered, if not before. Fula, it turns out, had good reason to be frightened. Two months also took Almost to the day after Tupac was shot, the lead witness to the shooting was forever gagged. Yafufula was murdered in New Jersey. Mm. Detectives' hopes for a break in the case were raised four months after the death of Yafufula, when Frank Alexander and Malcolm Greenridge, bodyguards who were in the car with Fula, came forward telling a Los Angeles Times reporter that they might be able to identify the shooter. The pair, however, criticized Las Vegas police, claiming Metro detectives never asked them to look at photos of possible suspects when investigators questioned them on the night of the shooting. Both men said they had come forward six months later because they were tired of hearing Las Vegas police say that an arrest had not been made because of uncooperative witnesses, the L.A. Times reported. They also said that the Metro Police had not contacted them since their questioning the night of the shooting. Like other witnesses, the pair complained that they were offended that night by the tactics of the cops who made them lie face down on the ground after ordering them out of the cars, then held them for two hours before they were questioned by detectives. Let's see. They also said... Police had not, okay, I'm sorry. Like other witnesses, the pair complained that they were offended by the tactics of the cops who made them lie face down on the ground after ordering them out of their cars. Oh, all right, America. This is the end of the podcast, Cry, Let It All Out. 
I went over a little bit, but enjoy what I read. Enjoy my poem. I'll see you next time on Cry Let It All Out with Sweet D, with the sweet flavor you savor. Miss Sweetness, your weakness. Love you, Tupac and Big.